0: Thanks, team. Morning, guys. I just want to say again, uh, it's an honor to be here, privilege to be here. Uh, Say it often, don't mean it always, and do mean it here. So, uh, that being said, um, I remember the. I remember coming up with my wife to have dinner with Tom and Ebony um, eight years ago now, Um, and I remember um, we were exploring the idea of them coming down to San Diego to have Tom be our worship leader to start a process as an elder candidate. And we had a similar heart. We didn't know each other that well, though. I was nervous. You know, one of the things they tell you with church planning is your first leadership appointments are a big deal. They set the tone and culture of the church. And And I remember Amelia was a baby. And uh, we went over to their house. And I remember literally getting in the car and Jackie saying, like, man, I really, like, I feel like we're going to be their friends. Like, I feel like they're feel like they're friends already. And And so I kind of felt like we had a hunch that um, we were going to gain friends, but like I really didn't know. Like I really was going to gain like a sister and a brother, and um, like I just love you guys so much, and I trust you guys so much, and um, you really are in good hands. They're not perfect hands, but they are loving, caring hands. Um, hands that will apologize when they fail. I guess mouths apologize when they fail. But um, but uh, but honestly, you have really really um, amazing leaders who care about you personally. Uh, I do a lot of leadership stuff with a lot of leaders from a lot of churches. And um, a lot of guys just want to talk about how big their church is, the events they do, the style of it. And these people talk about you guys, like they, 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 they shepherd the flock of God. And so I just want to say you're really, really loved in that. And then you have Herrick and Heather Berger, which is like next level shepherd situation. And so together, it's like, honestly, you guys are so loved, whether you know it or not. Um, the, what they pray behind your back and what they say behind your back are beautiful um, things. That they're looking out for you. Um, so uh, as a family of churches, um, we have uh, we have six values now. We historically had five values, um, gospel, family, mission, uh, dependence, and multiplication. We added renewal recently if you're at the retreat. Um, and um, values are important because they shape the, your priorities uh, and how you make decisions. For example, if a value in your own personal life is, I want my immediate family to know I love them and I want to have the, the, my highest priority is to have a deep bond with my immediate family. That has implications for how many hours you will work at the office. On the flip side, if you go, my highest value in life is to be as high up this org chart as possible. That also impacts how many hours you're going to work at the office and how many games you might make it to or ballet recitals or whatever it is your kids are into. Excuse me. Uh, and again, values shape what we do. They, they shape what we spend our money on. They shape how we spend our time. And that's true personally. And that's also true in a family of churches. And so, um, so for you guys, you guys might be experiencing values in this church. One of our core values is gospel. Um, and it's this idea, um, that we want to make everything in our church, um, we want it to be built on the person and work of Jesus. Church, so many people think of church as coming and hearing about what you need to do and how you need to get your act together. But really, church is hearing about what Jesus did. And how he did for you what you could not do for yourself. And as you experience that, you'll be able to do anything with him. Um, so some of you guys are learning for the first time or in a fresh way that Jesus and Jesus alone saves you. That your identity comes from Jesus. Not how you look. Not how much money you make or how well you perform at church or do religious duties. That's awesome. Some of you guys are experiencing the family value we have uh, this idea, you, you're, you're experiencing living in community with people where people get to know the real you and are, and are imperfectly loving you anyways. It's a fear so many humans have, have had since the fall. Uh, can I be known and loved? And many of you are experiencing, I'm being known in ways I almost feel uncomfortable with, but I'm also being loved. I heard multiple people from this church say to me at the retreat and recently, I mean, I never thought I'd tell anyone this, and, and, and I, I've shared it, and I've been loved, you're experiencing interdependent community where you're serving and meeting one another's needs. Many of you guys feel like you have a place to belong, maybe for the first time in your life. And it's beautiful. Uh, many of you guys, this is a church led by Tom and Ebony Logue. The, the, the value of dependence, this idea of encountering the person and power of the Holy Spirit in supernatural yet tangible ways. Um, you guys, you're probably hearing, um, prophetic words shared over you and Herrick and Tom and their gifts. You guys have had healing, amazing healings in this church. Uh, Lisa's story at, at the retreat and so many others, it is so, so cool. And so, and some of you guys are also experiencing our multiplication value, uh, for the first time ever, maybe for the first time with the right motivations, you're stepping into a space, um, of influence in a local church and you're loving how it feels to make a difference in people's lives. And maybe after Sundays you're doing set up and tear down and you're tired because that comes with church planting territory, but it's a good tired, you know? You're like, man, I, I, I really did a cool thing today. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And so today I want to talk about another value, and I want to talk about not keeping what this church family has been to yourself. I want to talk about the value of mission. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus lays out the mission for the church. And just so you guys know, the church is Jesus's, so we should get to decide what the mission is. I mean, a lot of church planners like, man, I think this would be a cool mission. I'm like, cool. Uh, Jesus gets to make the call, not you. So you're doing a different thing, which isn't great. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority. How much authority? All the authority of God has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That means learners, people learning to become like Jesus. Go and teach people to be like Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so he says, go and make disciples. And again, disciple means learner. People learning to be, learning about Jesus and learning to become like Jesus. And I love that word, uh, Methetes, learner, because it implies process. It means you're not all fixed in one day. Because I know I'm not. And so it's good to know that, that it takes a while. Right before this, it says, um, when they went up to the mountain, it says, um, many of them worshiped him, but some doubted the resurrected Jesus. People are in process learning to become like Jesus. We have different parts of our lives. We struggle to surrender to him, to give to him as Lord, but we're learning to do that. And and so here's the thing, actually, discipleship starts when you meet someone, not when they become a Christian. There's this um, false dichotomy in the church that there's evangelism and discipleship. No, there's mission. It's all discipleship because discipleship's learning about Jesus and then becoming like him. So you're going to focus more on the learning about Jesus side on, on the front end of discipleship. But you should keep learning about Jesus. So you got a weird discipleship after you become a Christian. Some churches, you stop. You just learn about rules. Um, And then you learn how to become like Jesus. And so um, disciples are learning about Jesus, becoming like Jesus. That can start before you've chosen to follow him. So today I want to talk about how do we live on mission and, and teach people about Jesus, introduce people to Jesus and help them grow into Jesus. Um, today our main texts are going to be out of 1 Peter. I'm going to read out of 1 Peter a lot. I just want to give a quick intro. Um, Juan Sanchez in his commentary on 1 Peter describes 1 Peter this way. It says, Peter wrote the letter of 1 Peter to Christians in Asia Minor, just modern day Turkey who are facing state-sponsored persecution, and many were being put to death. Now, most of us don't face universal state-sponsored persecution at this time, but we are encountering the reality of increasing hostility toward anything Christian. While we may live under the rule of governments that offer some legal protection for Christians, Christianity is no longer generally accepted nor deemed acceptable. In such a context, believers Uh, may not necessarily face imprisonments, torture, or executions. However, we do face a progressively intolerant culture in which we are likely to be discriminated against simply because we identify with Christ and his teaching. We need Peter to teach us how to face the reality that following Christ and obeying what he commands makes us different. We are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. We need to learn how to endure unjust suffering in a society where Christianity is unwelcome. We need to learn how to live with joy and hope and love when we are mocked and maligned and misunderstood because of what we believe and how we live. In order to do that, we need to be reminded of the true grace of God in which we can stand firm. That is what First Peter is all about. So if you guys have Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter 2, this amazing letter written to Christians who are suffering for their faith by a leader, an apostle who loved them, dearly. And I'm going to read 2, 1 through 10, and then what I want to do is just look at some highlights for our topic today, this idea of mission. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Peter writes, "'Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the words so that you may grow up into your salvation.'" Guys, if you've met Jesus, your character should be changing. We're called to grow up into our salvation. Not in a, um, I'm trying to earn something way, but in a, I'm growing up. Because like, just like a person grows up spiritually, you should be becoming different. Not perfect, but you should becoming, be, be becoming different. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone, living stone here is Jesus, cornerstone Jesus, Rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, talking to the church, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Again, of course, that's Jesus. Verse 7. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, that one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you, verse 9, you as the church, you who have believed in this cornerstone, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people For his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That God gives us a new identity in the gospel. I don't know your background, your family. You might be proud of your family. You might not be proud of your family. You might love who you are or might not love who you are, but you are someone new in the gospel now. There is something true within your family or your race or your socioeconomic status or anything about you that you would think would define you, Jesus defines you more. The race you're a part of, the nation you're a part of, the purpose, they're all rooted in Jesus now. The passage says that the reason God saved us and blessed us is that we might be a blessing to others. That we, we might share about the mercy the Lord has had on us. That people would encounter God's presence through us. That we would both proclaim and demonstrate who Jesus is and what he has done to those around us. That we would pray for people and intercede to God on their behalf like the priests in the Old Testament. This was the type of church, the type of church is we uh, wanted to start when Tom and Ebony and Brad and Sarah and Jackie and I planted Restored Uptown and what we were hoping to see in the, in the family of churches of the first church worked out. Um, and we have had the privilege of seeing some beautiful, broken people like you and me meet the risen Jesus because beautiful, broken people like you and me did, did their parts to proclaim the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light a story of a couple um, that Tom and Eb know. Some of you guys uh, might know from Uptown. It's a public story. They made a video about it. There's a couple um, when we first started our church, right around this time, actually, about a year in, there's a couple named Sam and Parker. And Sam and Parker were from Ventura County. They weren't from San Diego. They were new in town and they were coworkers of one of our leaders. And that leader had a birthday at a brewery. Uh, and, um, and on the way home from this birthday, which was mostly people from church, they, they noticed very quickly, Um, and their, their initial response was these people are so cool and so nice. Where did they get all, he said, did you notice that they're all from like church? And, uh, and, and then they said, do you think we could like go to church? Like, do you, and so they actually asked Royce, Hey, can we go to church? And he's like, absolutely. You can come to church. It's a good, when they're asking you to come, it's a pretty easy scenario. And then um, they came to church, and Sam was eight months pregnant. She was very pregnant, um, and I don't know else to describe it. And I said, hey, who's, you know, you're new to San Diego. Who's bringing you meals when the baby's born? And, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, oh, at our church, like, when people have a baby, like, you know, for about four to six weeks, we provide meals, usually, like, people in the community. And she's like, oh, uh, I think we're going to just do a bunch of crockpot meals that we freeze. And I said, that sounds like hell on earth. That sounds awful. Um, frozen crockpot meals four weeks out. Um, let's, can we just, I know you're not a member of our church, but can we just love you like you are one? Can we take care of this? She said, we've got all these allergies. I said, we'll work with it. Trust me. We're a millennial church. We've got plenty of gluten-free. <laughs> Everyone's figuring out their gut bacteria all the time. It's like, all right, man. And then we, we were bringing meals and, and then she said, Hey, uh, we were doing a, a small group sign up, and it was for a really intense discipleship curriculum um, that was teaching you how to disciple people. And she's not a follower of Jesus. She said, can I come to the group? And I was like, okay, it might be kind of weird. And, and I just remember the, the first week, I was like, hey, is it weird? And she said, I'm going to be honest. I don't really understand any of this, SH, you fill in the blank. And uh, and I was like, okay, she said, but, um, and, and 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 whatever. And then eight weeks later, we kept going. And she stuck around every week, her and her husband. And at the end, she said, she paid uh, to our church, I think, the greatest compliment. Uh, one of my favorite ones I've ever heard. She said, Um, I don't know where I'm at with this God thing, but what I do know is if he's anything... Like you guys, I want to know him. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for the whole thing, but if he's like you guys, I want to know him. You guys have been so wonderful. But she said, I feel like the luckiest person in the world. You guys bring me meals, you bring allergy meals, you guys bring clothes, you guys have done so many things. And I was like, wow. And I was like, do you want to become a Christian? She's like, I'm not ready for that. I was like, okay. And then a couple weeks later, we had signups for baptism. And I saw that her husband was signed up and I was pumped. Uh, me and Tom had met him at a party. We actually prayed for him. I remember we went out to a car and we prayed for him and I actually said, I don't know if he'll ever become a Christian, dude. Like, I just think he's like too cool, too smart. Like he just uh, intellectually is like uh, above this or something. Too cool in like the intellectual way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's kind of a nerd. He's into Star Wars. And, um, and I said... I, and I would say this have yeah, to his face. So I said, hey, dude, I saw you signed up for baptism. He's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, dude, you signed up for baptism. He's like, no, I didn't. And then his wife's like, oh, I signed him up. <laughs> she, he's like, but I'm down. I'm ready. I'm like, oh, you? so you, are you ready too? She's like, oh, I'm not ready to get baptized. It's <laughs> like, oh, that's pretty weird. Um, a few weeks later, um, he got baptized. She didn't. And, and a few weeks later, um, her dad got really, really ill, really, really sick. And he lived in Ventura County. And um, she was living up there about three days a week, taking care of him. And um, what was wild is it was about a four-hour drive, uh, three and a half to four hours, spent, you know. Or we know LA; it could be nine hours with traffic. Uh, literally, I've done seven hours from Thousand Oaks to San Diego one time. Um, she she would come to our Sunday gathering. She would drive down for the Sunday gathering and then drive back. And I'm like, this is pretty, you're pretty committed. Like this is, you're driving seven hours to come to gathering. And I remember saying, um, so are you, a, you want to become a Christian? She's like, nah, I'm not ready for that. I was like, Christians, a lot of them miss this, if, this gathering. If they're, when they're in San Diego, if the chargers play at 10 AM, like, you don't, I don't think you understand, like you're more Christian than anyone I know. And then we did this thing as a church with this evangelism thing. We had this thing called a person of peace and you might've heard of it. And we were like praying who's someone maybe God's opening their heart in your life to share the gospel with. And, and she had a list of people to share the gospel with <laughs> and to invite to church. And I said, she, what, she's like, I know. I just want them to experience God and the people, like, even if I'm not. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then we had a week where I preach. I said, are you ready? She's like, I'm not ready. I was like, but you want to get other people ready. And she's like, yeah, basically. And then there was a week where I preached on authenticity, and I said, um, a lot of us aren't authentic because we wrestle with guilt and shame. And I said, um, a lot of us wrestle with guilt for one of two reasons, for Christians. I said, one of the reasons is um, we struggle with the same sin over and over and over again. Like, it seems small to us, but just the amount of times we've done it, we're like, God's like, dude, this, it's, it, enough is enough. Or we have maybe one thing or two things from our past that we did. And we go, this is just too big for the cross to cover. And, uh, and I went up to the foyer and I, I saw her and she's in tears. She's sobbing and I said, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. She's in tears. I'm like, you sure? She's like, yeah. And uh, I said, hey, it it's cool if like someone prays to you. She's like, yeah, it's fine. But honestly, I'm fine. I was like, okay, you don't look fine. I'm confused. And then I was like, hey, you ready to become a Christian? She's like, no, 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 no. And then a few weeks later, I got a call from her husband, Parker, and he said, "Hey, can you come over? We need some help." And uh, I said, "Sure." And me, one of the pastors went over there. It sounded really serious, and came in, and, and he said, um, "Sam just told me that um, a couple months into our marriage, she committed adultery, and she had a, a one night stand with her ex boyfriend." And I don't know what to to do and stuff, um, and, uh, and and and. And I said, whoa, you know, and she said, this is why I didn't want to become a Christian, because I knew if I did, I'd have to probably talk about this. And Parker had said, if you ever cheat on me, I'll leave you. And, um, and I just, uh, we just had a baby, and I'm so afraid. Um, but then I realized that I want Jesus more than the consequences, and... Um, And then she said, um, she she shared, she, she confessed wrestling with alcohol problems, some other stuff. She brought all of this into the light. She brought it out of darkness into the marvelous light. But I'll never forget, she said, I believe that Jesus can forgive me and change me because I've watched you guys confess your sin to each other. And I've seen you guys remind each other that Jesus forgives and saves. And I've seen you love each other, even though you mess up big time. And you believe you actually can change. So I believe I'll be forgiven and I'll be changed and because it was so safe, I felt like I could do this. And then Parker, who normally struggles with anger, he would tell you this. He said, I normally would be so angry, but I just know I have been forgiven so much recently. I know I said I would leave her. I'm not leaving her. We're going to get through this. I'm mad. Don't get me wrong. But I just have this forgiveness, and I don't know where it's coming from. And, um, and they're still in our church now. They're still following Jesus. They've had a second kid. God's doing so much in their life. Um, and, and honestly, um, they're still growing. They're in a huge, there was a huge moment at the retreat with them that was amazing. And, and, and now Sam's story is a miracle on one hand, but the means of the miraculous story are very ordinary. I want you to catch this deep restoration, deep transformation, deep healing, deep freedom. That was rooted in a normal dude inviting a coworker to a brewery for a birthday party. You can do that. You can't do the story, but you can play your part. And it's like as this couple was watching the church love each other, they became curious. They started to hang with us. And along the way, the Holy Spirit was doing his thing in their life. And I don't know about you. Don't you want to see stories like this restored to Mecula? I'm not saying you don't have them already. I'm just saying, don't you want more of these? Like, like if you could have them. And I think it starts by realizing, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, that we are all missionaries. That part of our identity as disciples of Jesus, that we are missionaries. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, I don't know actually if I gave them this verse, which could be a problem, but I'm just going to turn there. Um, yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Um, the Apostle Paul writes... Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So we are all ambassadors of Jesus. Now, um, uh, a close friend of mine uh, dated someone who um, ran the household of the ambassador to Switzerland. Uh, big deal. And uh, so I learned a lot about ambassadors back in the day. And I remember um, being so intrigued by what they would do. They lived in like two places. Um, they had these insane lives. And, and what they do is they represent another country and another leader to people outside of that country. And so here's the deal. We represent our king and his kingdom to people outside of that kingdom. Um, and I want to say this too. This isn't just for amazing missionaries like the couple we sent to Northern Africa earlier this year. It's for the stay-at-home mom or dad who is an ambassador of Jesus to their children. It's, it's for the teacher who is an ambassador of Jesus to her students It's the software developer who's an ambassador to the office. It's the barista who represents Jesus to people at the coffee shop. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are an ambassador of Jesus everywhere you go. You're a missionary. You are. The question isn't, are you a representative of Jesus? It's, are you a good representative or a bad representative? Honestly, I've had to wrestle with this. And so today I want to talk about how you can live as missionaries to Temecula and the watching world that so badly needs to encounter the radical grace of Jesus. So I have four tips. I'm going to try to move through them quickly. Uh, four four um, keys to life on mission. The first one is fall in love with and authentically become like Jesus. Um, in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4, again, uh, he says... Um, Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the Word so that you may grow up into your salvation. You're becoming like Jesus. Verse 3, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you actually tasted that the Lord is good? Because when you do, you will talk about it. My wife and I, we just celebrated the seven-year anniversary of Restore Church Uptown, um, and uh, Tom wasn't here and otherwise, we would have invited you guys. But, um, but me, her, and Nicole, the only people in San Diego who helped start the church, we uh, went to a restaurant called Morning Glory in Little Italy. It's a brunch place. Consortium Holdings started a breakfast place, which is nuts. And, uh, and it was a phenomenal breakfast, you guys. It was one of the best breakfasts I've ever had. I talk about it all the time. Like, it's not hard. I sent people pictures. It's amazing. And so um, we talk about the stuff that we dig. If we taste it, know that it's good. We want other people to taste it. Our first thing most of the time when we taste something good is, hey, do you want to taste it? It's good. Not too much, though, because it's good. (laughs) Right? We go, do, do you want to try this? And for a talk on mission, this might surprise you as the starting point. You might have thought I'd lead with like a sales pitch or like an evangelism technique. But what you need to know is that before you can talk about Jesus, you need to become a person who's passionately in love with Jesus, who's tasted his goodness. Because people are attracted to people who have found something worth living and dying for. We naturally want to know more when we meet someone like that. That's what happened with Sam. Generosity, service, kindness, passion, patience. Drew her in. And here's the thing. Just so you know, people aren't looking for boring people. I do you know that. No one's like, man, I need more boring church people in my life, man. My whole life I've been looking for a boring person. I've always wanted to be boring like you. I feel like you're more boring than the average person. I feel like Jesus had something to do with that. I feel like you listen to worse music than most people. I feel like Jesus had something to do with that. Can you tell me about him? Just so you know, that that doesn't work. But to be around a person who's passionate about Jesus, who loves Jesus, and talks about him in a normal way, is exciting. And again, it is not weird to talk about Jesus because people share what they're excited about. Two of my buddies had babies this past month. Both of them texted me a picture within hours late at night. I didn't ask either of them for them. And the babies just look like babies. <laughs> they always do. I love these babies, but they did, like, what? But it was like, I got to show you this. It's good news. Gospel just means good news. I've never met the young lady who I had to beg to tell me an engagement story that was recently engaged. Please tell me about your fiance. I don't want to. But you, how was the proposal? You don't want to know. No, no, how, how right? It's like he, he, he had a ring. You're like, oh my gosh, who saw that coming? You know, there's just this excitement. And they're mostly the same, right? You go out. You surprise them, you go to a place that's significant, you tell them to get dressed up, and then you end up at someone's house, and your family and friends are there. That's 90% of engagement stories. They're beautiful, they're important, they're all the same, mostly. (laughs) But you don't care when it's your engagement story. I want to tell you good news. People share what they're passionate about, plant-based diets, birthing methods. I don't know why we started sharing this in the last 15 years. Like I didn't want to know. People getting fights over circumcision. It's like, you didn't even used to know if they circumcised their kid. Like, we just overshare a lot. CrossFit, F45, sports teams, political figures, band, craft beers, boyfriends, girlfriends, the guy that you hope becomes your boyfriend. I could go on and on and on. We talk about what we're into. I was given an insanely generous gift. I shared about it last time I was here. We were given basically an entire down payment for a house by someone we hardly know. They felt like God put it on their heart to do. I'm not supposed to say who gave it to me, but I don't stop talking about this act of generosity because it blows my mind. And it gives Jesus glory. People congratulate us. It's like, we didn't do it. We just said, thank you. <laughs> we weren't disciplined. We come from poor families. We said, thank you. Jesus is amazing. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's true of sinful stuff, but it's also true of beautiful stuff. What you love, you talk about. Um... um No one is looking for a sales pitch. What they're looking for is people who are fully alive, fully in love, all that good stuff. Um, The other thing I want to say is people aren't drawn to boring people. Um, They're also not drawn to hypocritical people. It's got to be authentic love of Jesus. Um, They're not drawn to hypocritical followers of Jesus. Some of us don't share because we don't want to be hypocrites. Um, That being said, everyone you've ever met is a hypocrite at some level. But um, just so you guys know, it's really easy to end hypocrisy in the church. Like, it's so simple. It's one of two things. Um, Actually become like Jesus, practice what he preached, and live it out. I know you're thinking, I can't do it perfectly. You can. And when you don't, you own it, and you apologize, and you confess it, and you repent. Hypocrisy is not failing. It's pretending like you're not failing. Does that make sense? The the word for hypocrite is the word actor in Greek. It's, It's literally a mask that you would wear in the theater, someone who wears a mask. So, so you can still sin. You just go, oh, that was wrong. I'm not pretending I don't sin. I, I do sin. And it's important because if you aren't authentic, people either assume you're a liar. Like, I see through this dude. He's, he's a jerk. He's like, come to church with me. He's a jerk. He always finishes the coffee, never refills it. He's a jerk. He lies. He cuts people down. He gossips. Da, 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 da. And then he's, he's smiling. Um, they'll either be, they, they won't believe it or even sadder, they'll be fooled by your acting skills and they'll think, I'll never be as good as that person so I can't be a Christian, which is the freaking antithesis of the gospel. It's you're so bad, he had to die for you. You're so loved, he was glad to die for you. So if you sin against or in front of your non-Christian coworkers, please confess and apologize to them. It models the gospel. This is also true with your children. Um, which we'll get into in a second. Um, Author Steve Brown put it this way. He tells this story. He said, I had a Christian friend who fell morally. When she fell, she did it big time. She slept with her pagan boss, a married man. She wept when she confessed it to me. I told her that God was in the business of forgiveness, but I also told her that she needed to do one more thing. She needed to confess her sin to her boss. What she asked, I can't do that. Why not? I replied with uncharacteristic wisdom. He already knows you're a sinner. Why not tell him about your Savior? She disliked my advice, but she decided to follow it anyway. She went to her boss and announced she had a confession to make. He felt quite puzzled until she explained. Night before last, she said, I betrayed my own moral standards. That was horrible, but I did something even worse. I betrayed the one I betrayed the one to whom I'm committed, who has always loved me, and I didn't even mention him to you. Her boss started to get uncomfortable. He ought to have. I suppose he saw an image of some Navy SEAL type, maybe her fiance wanted to kill him for what he had done. He got increasingly nervous as my friend continued. My betrayal was a betrayal of one who loves me without condition, and even when I've betrayed him will forgive me and will not let me go. I'm not going to sleep with you again because of him. His name is Jesus, and I want you to listen while I tell you about him. Do you know what happened? Her boss became a Christian. (laughs) This would happen a lot more if we would take off our masks with our non-believing friends. The politicians lie to them, advertisers lie to them, their friends lie to them, social media lies to them, the people they work with lie to them. When Christians take off their masks, pagans get confused and generally ask questions. When they ask questions, make sure you have answers, and please don't give answers from behind another mask. It would be counterproductive to put that mask on when not wearing one is what got you the right to be heard in the first place. Now, that's a wild story about adultery. It's scandalous. But this is also essential if you want to see your kids come to know Jesus. It is essential for us to lead our children in repentance. Our kids um, need to see that we aren't the Savior, that Jesus is. Nothing will get that into their kids, into your kids' hearts more than them seeing mommy and daddy confessing sin and repenting to God, to each other as spouses, and to them as kids. If you fight in front of them, apologize to them for the hurtful things you say. When you blow it and you get really angry or say something hurtful to them or, or you forget to show up to something, please, please, please apologize. Nothing will push your kids away from faith in Jesus like hypocrisy and a lack of repentance. You've groomed them their whole life to think that you're a good person who didn't need a Savior, and then they grow up to be, think they're a good person who doesn't need a Savior, or you're a hypocritical person whose Savior talks ridiculous. We need to say things like this is Jesus' standard for a daddy, for a husband, for a mommy, or a wife for a disciple and I didn't live up to it. Three simple words, I was wrong. That wasn't okay. I've asked Jesus to forgive me. Will you forgive me? Do you know how many kids have grown up even in Christian's home, Christian homes and they've never heard an unqualified apology from their parents? You should be apologizing to your kids weekly. I'm serious. If you're not, you're in trouble. Like seriously. You sin against them weekly. I promise. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways, but you prepare them to receive the gospel when they, when they see what confession and forgiveness are all about. And you know what? Kids are actually surprised. Um, and by the way, unqualified apology means no if, ands, or buts, right? I, if, if you guys were listening, I wouldn't have yelled, but you made me yell. No, no, no. That's you excusing your sin. Daddy values comfort more than he values loving you, so he snapped and he yelled at you. That was wrong. and It's not the way daddies are supposed to treat their kids. Will you forgive me? That's what you want to do. Um, kids, kids are forgiving. Like they're like, oh yeah, thank you. We've felt that. We've seen that. Thank you for acknowledging it. Uh, we want to move forward. You know. Um, next, thing I want to say is this: is, is who in your life knows you love Jesus and is close enough to you to see you become like Him? Um, who are you specifically called to represent Jesus to? Um, there are currently over 200 U.S. ambassadors, and while they all represent the same nation, who they represent that nation to is different for all of them. Um, It's the same with us. We all represent King Jesus, but who we represent King Jesus to is different, which leads to my second key to mission. Prayerfully consider where you have been sent. Prayerfully consider where you've been sent. Um, To help you discern this, I want to use a tool. Um, There's a guy named John Tyson. Tom Logue just spent, I don't know, nine weeks with him in New York City. Uh, And uh, and I have a slide on um, three uh, places, people, you guys have that? Cool. Um, where have you been sent? And, and John Tice talks about these three areas, people, places, um, and positions. The first one is people. Oftentimes, God will send us to our particular group of people. For example, the apostle Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Philip was sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, Peter was sent to the household of Cornelius. Throughout history, men and women have been sent by God to specific groups of people. Oftentimes, in Acts, it's to their family. It's the households were saved. For a lot of you guys, this is your big mission field. Just so you know, kids aren't born Christians. Okay. They're born, they're born sinners, if you haven't, I'm sure you've noticed. We have to teach them to follow Jesus and, and turn to him. Um, so so uh, again, for people, uh, maybe it's a type of person. There's a lady in our church who's passionate about families who have children with special needs. There's another guy in our church passionate about the gay community. So there's a, a literal group of people. Um, but maybe it's specific people. It's family, neighbors, coworkers. Who do you see most often? Who are the people already in your life? Um, the second one is places. Uh, In his great commission, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, um, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's like Temecula, L.A., California, the worlds. We know that um, Andrew went to places north of the Black Sea. Thomas traveled east to Syria and India. Philip uh, journeyed south to Africa. Um, But while Paul was sent to travel all over the Gentile world, the Roman Empire, Peter and James mostly stayed in Israel and reached Jewish people. They just went to Elsinore and started a church. They, they didn't go to India. And that's fine. That's more than fine. Because when we send people to Tunisia, all we're asking them to do is the same work we're doing here, just in a different place. It's the same work we commissioned Tom and Ebony to come here to do. See what I'm saying? Uh, and it's the same work God's called, commissioned all of you to do every day. To be ambassador of Jesus. Um, a girl in our church basically adopted a cocktail bar. She's not an alcoholic doesn't even drink every time. Sometimes she gets food and that's it. But she, everyone knows her name and they've hung out with her. She had them over for dinner. Um, I encourage people to go, to go to the same coffee shops, get your hair cut by the same person consistently at the same shop. Martin Luther, the great reformer wrote a book about prayer for his barber. <laughs> I always tell my barbers about that. I think it's funny. My barber recently um, basically was kicked out of the shop she was at. She had to start over again on her own. And um, I, I built up some rapport with her and I said, Hey, can I pray for you? I, I, like, I said, I feel like I've been pretty low-key with the church thing for a while. You know, I'm a pastor. You seem really anxious. Can I pray for you? And she said, oh, my gosh, yes. She shut the door. She started crying. I prayed for her. Um, and uh, it was an amazing um, moment. And, and, and I didn't know this, but her coworker who she left to start this thing with is a follower of Jesus. Him and, her, him and his wife have been bringing her to church for weeks now. And I filled in the gap on, in a cool way that, that God wanted to use. It could be people on your block. Okay, So people, places, and then positions. Um, The Bible also gives examples of people being sent to specific positions of influence or within specific industries. Paul served as a tent maker for many years. He shared the gospel in prison and later appeared before foreign leaders and even Caesar himself. God blessed other disciples with the financial means to host churches in their homes and still others with positions of authority within local government. William Wilberforce is a modern example of a man who was placed by God in the British Parliament so that he and others could overturn the British slave trade and usher in God's freedom. In the language of the scriptures, all disciples of Jesus are sent to someone in some place. So you have a, a, a home, you have a workplace, you have whatever you position. By the way, if you, if you, if you lead your organization or, or business you work at or your family, your authority exists for those um, who you are over on the org chart. The way of Jesus is you get underneath those people to help them flourish. You don't crush those people to make you, yourself look good. The way of Jesus is, oh, I'm here to bless you. <laughs> Um, John Tyson says this he says being sent as Christ's ambassador will not always be grandiose and monumental in the moment. Oftentimes being sent means being Jesus' hands and feet in daily small faithful ways, praying faithfully for a coworker, babysitting a neighbor's child, working tirelessly to bring change in your industry. While Jesus was on earth, he was confined to one small tiny region for his entire life, and his daily life consisted of feeding the hungry, healing the sick, preaching the gospel to that small Jewish people group, and yet his life and ministry shaped all of human history. That is why Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a small bit of yeast or a tiny mustard seed. Small acts done through the power of God's spirit have disproportionate effects for the kingdom. Wherever you are and whatever part you think you play, it's more significant than you know. You'll actually step out and obey him. Would you guys pray about the specific people, places, and positions you occupy? Um, keep it moving. Number three, try to go quick here, guys. I'm sorry. Um, it's this. Authentically share your life in your Jesus story. Authentically share your life in your Jesus story. Um, in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. At some point, it's not enough to just live, um, to not just live an abundant life where you passionately follow Jesus. Um, They don't necessarily connect to the fact that it's because of Jesus unless you tell them so. At this point in the message, again, you have to proclaim uh, how he's brought you out of darkness and it was marvelous light. Now, at this point in the message, some of you guys are getting nervous. You're like, man, he's going to say, I have to become this extroverted person. Uh, I'm not. I have to start sharing the gospel on airplanes with people. Um, I don't like to share the gospel on airplanes with people. I actually don't do it unless they force me. They go, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a teacher. Like what kind of teacher? A Spiritual teacher. Okay. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm just really bad at small talk. Um, people who share the, share the gospel with random people and it goes well, tend to have the gift of evangelism. You probably have the gift of evangelism. If evangelism is easy for you and it often goes well. One missiologist estimates that only 10% of the body of Christ has the gift of evangelism. If you have that gift, get after it early and often. Talk to everybody all the time, gently with respect. For the rest of us, though, who don't have that gift, we don't need to spend a ton of time talking to people we don't know because there are plenty of people you do know. And here's the thing. If you're living out of a growing love for Jesus, eventually it's going to come up and people will ask questions. Um, If you're just authentically sharing your life with someone and they ask, hey, uh, what are you doing tonight? And you go, oh, I'm I'm grabbing beers with some people from my church. Follow-up questions. You go to church and you can drink beer with them? Mind blown, okay? You've created questions. You're sharing about your marriage. Man, I'm growing in love for my, my wife, for my husband. It's not natural for me to love them because I'm naturally so selfish. You're selfish? Dude, you don't even know. You think you know, but you have no idea. When people talk about their marriages in our culture, they do it in one of two ways, okay? Um, they do the like, uh, you know, dark comedy, uh, bash their spouse, the old ball and chain, such a loser, uh, you know, kind of bash their spouse, and you're pulling all the weight, and he's just lucky to be married to you. Um, or you idolize the spouse, right? Like, my biggest problem is we just cuddle and say nice things to each other so much, I can't get stuff done around the house. We get into huge arguments over who's going to do the chores because we both love serving each other just so much. When we get it going, if you know what I mean, it's, it's, we both just want each other to feel what we feel. We as Christians can say, um, both of us aren't perfect. We don't have to bash them or idolize them. We can say, hey, both of us aren't perfect. We both bring a lot of issues to the table, um, and we're learning to love each other. And some days it's awesome, and some days it's terrible. And when it's terrible, often it's because of me. But we're learning to forgive and serve each other, even though we don't deserve it. How, what? There's only I have two categories for how people talk about their marriages. You're, you're honest and kind to your spouse. Like, I, I'm so confused. How'd you do that? Oh, it's, it's this guy named Jesus. It's, I've got a grand other groom. Um, unless you're lying when you talk to people about Jesus, um, unless you're lying, you will talk to people about Jesus all the time if you're an authentic growing disciple of Jesus, right? They're like, what'd you do this weekend? Okay. Um, that's a gateway to just say, uh, you came to a church gathering to worship Jesus. And then they're like, wait, you, you, went, to, you, know, you went to church or whatever. Um, again, some of us are ashamed. They're like, what'd you do this weekend? And you're like, I didn't go to church. What did what, you do? Though? I didn't go to church. Um, I went to the beach, hit three brunches. I might be involved in a drug trafficking ring, but I definitely wasn't at a church this weekend. Don't want you to get the wrong idea. Some of you, your first step on mission is just disclosing that you're a Christian. Like, you gotta let the cat out of the bag, okay? And at some point, they're going to ask you questions. Again, we see this biblically. 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16, it says, But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who seeks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Key thing about this passage, this is an apologetics passage a lot if you go to Bible colleges. Um, it says, if they ask, isn't that interesting? You're living in a way where they're like, yo, what's the deal? You're saying things that confuse them in a good way. I was at a, um, a training, an evangelism training in L.A. this week for doing evangelism in a post-Christian culture, and they said the first step to evangelism is just getting people to trust a Christian because they've heard all these scary things about you and how you hate different people how you're mean and self-righteous. And so he said, you want to live, your, you live in, in a way that makes people go, hmm, what is this? How, how are you getting laid off and you're calmer than me as one who wasn't laid off? But 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 how Peter says to do it? Verse sixteen, he says, "Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame." Gentleness and respect. Okay, does this sound like forcing a conversation on someone? Also, for whatever reason, in the nineties, it was like you got to lead with hell. You got to lead with when you talk about the gospel, dude. You're going to hell. Who whoever responds to that well? Maybe serial killers are like, I know, dude talk to me. <laughs> Who naturally is like, yeah, yeah. Been thinking about hell all week. Colossians uh, 4 or 5 to 6 says, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Again, you're answering people. So I want to uh, say this. this is my last big thing. Um, it's important that as we make the most of every opportunity, we don't make more out of the opportunity and we don't make less out of the opportunity. We make it, we make it out to be what it's called to be. I have a slide here. It says there's different ways we can approach um, mission or evangelism. There are three ways to share Jesus in a pushy way, in a cowardly way, or in a bold, respectful way. Um. So again, I'll give you an example. Uh, how to not be pushy. Okay. Let's say someone says, um, you could say, they're like, "Hey, are you tired?" You're like, "Yeah, I'm a little tired. I was up late last night with the gr- uh, group from church." And, uh, and they're like, "Man, you really seem to like that group. What do you guys do together?" Okay. At that point, what they're not asking is, "What must thou do to be saved?" It's not what they're asking. They're like, "What's up with that? What's up with that group?" Okay. So don't answer, that, don't answer the question, what do you need to do to be saved? Just give an honest, honest answer. Hey, I joined this group back in February. They're becoming really amazing friends. We study the Bible together. We pray together. We spend time together and support one another. It's, it's pretty cool. And if they're like, oh, that's cool, convo over. Don't be pushy. But if they say a follow-up to that, man, you know, I've never been religious, and I'm kind of surprised you are. You seem so normal. They might want a little bit more. Then you could say at that point, Actually, I've never been religious either, but I started connecting with people who were Christians. I was intrigued. I started going to this church. I really believe I'm growing in my relationship with God. I know it sounds crazy. I don't know how to describe it, but my life is changing in beautiful ways. And at that point, if they're like, good for you, can you believe the Dodgers were knocked out of the playoffs again? <laughs> Convo over. Don't be pushy. Don't go, you know what? who else is going to be knocked out of heaven? You, if you don't turn to Jesus. Pushy. Okay. Okay. But if after you shared a little about how you got connected to Jesus in that group, they ask, um, what was it like for you not being religious and then becoming a God person? Why do you believe in Jesus instead of other gods? Don't go, yeah, it's a long story. Also, the weather outside is amazing. <laughs> That's not pushy. It's, you're being a coward. Uh, I'll, I'll, close, I'll close with a tale of uh, a, a story. Um, we're not going to be able to get to point four. I'm sorry. Point four is um, you should do it in community. Uh, And I kind of described that with the Parker and Sam thing, that that as we love them together, people with different interests and gifts, um, seasons of life uh, together. Evangelism is a team sport, not a a solo sport, in that back when Jesus said, I'm calling you to be fishers of men, um, they didn't fish with poles back then. They had groups of people who used nets. So together, as the community, they love and bring people in. But I want to close with this, uh, tale of two Uber rides. Uh, I often use Uber or Lyft to get around San Diego uh, because we have one car and things aren't that far apart in Uptown. And I remember one time I got picked up from a pastor's luncheon, and I was going to take a five-minute ride to the next place. And I'm definitely again, I'm not the guy that just brings the gospel on random people without asking. Um, and I knew I only had five minutes. And the church that we, the pastor's lunch was at, had a big wall, and it said um, the church had three values. It said San Diego, the Jesus story, God's glory. And the Uber driver literally goes, "Hey man, what's the Jesus story?" Like, dude, I got five minutes. Also, I don't want it to get awkward. Um, and I said, "Oh, they would say." <laughs> I've been sitting on the church. <laughs> said, "Oh, they would say, you know, it's this in the fall." And and um, and he goes, "What would you say? Would you agree?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "So you believe you need to repent of your sins and trust Jesus?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, uh, "Okay, cool. I'm a Christian. I was just testing you to see if you were preaching the true gospel."
1: <laughs> Which was a weird test.
0: <laughs> And that moment for me, that was cowardice and a lack of love, okay? Uh, that was cowardice. Um, uh, recently, though, I got into a, an Uber about three weeks ago, and a gal picked me up. She's probably 32, 33, and um, she, she got in. And again, I'm not the guy that likes to talk to people randomly. And she just said, hey, what do you do for fun? Well, What are you doing this weekend? I go, oh, I'm going to church, and da-da-da. She's like, oh, it's interesting. And I said, what do you do for fun? And she just goes, uh, honestly, I don't even know what I do for fun because... Um, I just broke up with my boyfriend yesterday and we spent like the last year together, like nonstop and I don't even know who I am anymore. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I just was like, Hey, do you, do you want to talk about that? Like, you, you know, he kind of shared and, um, and, and she goes, yeah, she's, yeah, it's kind of like it's therapy, but you're paying me cause I'm driving you. So it's cool. Like I can just share and, and, you know, you pay me for it. And we started talking and I said, Hey, you know, also I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know? And she's like, wow, you're really into the church thing. I didn't realize I was like, yeah. And she's like, you know, what's crazy is, um, yesterday I prayed for the first time in my entire life. Um, I grew up Muslim in Jordan and now I do yoga, which I, didn't, I was like, that's not really a faith, but it's fine. Um, she's very North park. And, uh, and, and I just said, I just started so talking I said, Hey, I think you need to process it. I think you need to grieve it. I don't want to tell you what to do before my advice. Like I want it. And I said, I think you need to grieve it. She said, well, it's hard to grieve. Like, I'm kind of over grieving because my dad died earlier this year. And like, I just feel so, I don't want to keep grieving. I kind of want to just do something crazy. So yeah, now I get that. And we we're talking. I said, um, you know, she pulled off at the exit. I said, hey, can I, this is kind of weird. Can I pray for you? Like, would that be okay? And she, she, she goes, that would be crazy. And we pulled over and um, I didn't lay hands on anything weird. I just said, I'm just going to pray. And I just prayed basic stuff that we know about God's character and his love for us. And I prayed for you guys, and she was sobbing. I said, you've known her her whole life. I believe you're pursuing her. I believe you're not letting, leaving her behind. I believe she, you know. And I get done praying, and she said, just so you know, that was a miracle. She's like, I just asked God 20 minutes ago if he was real to send someone to pray for me. And he prayed for me in my car, and I don't even know what I believe. But God or the universe, so like, it's, he's coming for me. And then I said, hey, all right, I don't want to get weird. Um, do you, can I give you my number? And then if you're interested in like church or getting help, like you can reach out to, to me. You don't have to give me my number. It's weird, a creepy pastor situation. And she goes, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And then, um, I didn't hear anything. I had my GC pray for her. I didn't hear anything for a week and I was so bummed out. And then it was Wednesday morning and I was getting a ride to the office and I'm getting an Uber and it's her again. And I've, I've ridden 1500 Uber rides and I've had the same driver three times ever. Like and I get in the car, Jackie saw her. She started clapping and she's like, oh my God, oh my God. I didn't even realize. She's like, I was supposed to call you the last three days. I felt awful about it. This is it. This is the sign. And I brought her in. I introduced her to Ashley. who does counseling. He does grief work. And I also said, hey, we're part of a church. And uh, on paper, um, and then we gave her Ashley's number. We didn't get her number again. I'm like, oh my gosh. And she reached out to Ashley and she's going to be jumping in. She's probably going to be coming to our church like, either today or like next week. And it was just me meeting her where she was. And I kept asking permission. Hey, is it okay if I share this with you? Is it okay if I pray for you? And like, letting God do his thing. Does that make sense? Um, and I didn't, wasn't pushy. She just opened up and shared something. So what I want to do is um, um, hand over to Tom. And, um, and I would love for us to, to ask God, who's he calling you to? And how is he calling you to them? Thank you, Andy.